Right, hello everybody, and welcome to the uh, next episode of the Bog Skeptic Show. Uh, tonight we've got a, a special episode. I'm close to a hundred subs. Um, I think I've got 98 subs now, so hopefully we we'll get them last two tonight, and then I can have a a, a separate uh, YouTube uh, URL for the for the show, which is very exciting. Um, so tonight we've got. Um, uh, with us, we have Justin O'Donnell, the fad, as the co-host. Welcome, Justin. Nice. Thank um, you, thank you. Always glad to be here, Katie. And we also have our special guest tonight, which I'm really looking forward to the conversation we're going to have, Eric Hernandez. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I can't wait to talk to you either, or as well. Um, I will shout out the those who we have in the chat at the moment. So we have obviously the fad who's co-hosting. We have uh, Dolly. Um, welcome, Dolly, to the to the stream. I haven't seen you here before. I uh, hope you enjoy. We have uh, Joshua the Catalyst. How are you doing, Josh, tonight? Uh, and that's all we have for now. So um, right. So the conversation we're going to be having tonight. I think the topic we chose, Eric, was consciousness and the soul. Yeah. Yeah, so very, very interesting topic, and I'm looking very forward to this. So um, would you like first to just give us a little bit of a rundown about yourself? Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, like I said, my name is Eric Hernandez. I'm the apologetics lead for the Baptist General Convention of Texas, uh, which encompasses anything from uh, speaking at churches or doing trainings or seminars in evangelism and apologetics to uh, doing conferences every year that I do with the convention uh, where our churches host uh, throughout the state of Texas. Yeah, sounds like you keep really pretty busy. Yeah, 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 it's, it, yeah, it can get definitely get busy. Yeah, it's important to keep busy, uh, especially with the last year that we've been having. It's been uh, been a tough year, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's been quite different. It's been something else. So, um, God, just his little introduction. I can't even believe how many questions exploded in my mind. But um, <laughs> do you do you want to start kind of with? giving your definition of, well, he said we're going to be talking about soul and consciousness. Um, yeah. Will you give your definition on both of those so we kind of better understand what you're going to be talking about? <clears throat> yeah, I'd love to. Uh, yeah, thanks for asking. So um, so I hold to a position uh, what's traditionally known as substance dualism. And, and basically it's the view that the easiest way to put it is um, when I use the word I, that's an indexical word that refers to something. It's like saying uh, here or there. These are indexical words that are, are they're referring to something else. Uh, when I say the word I, I'm referring to something, namely me, myself. So I as a conscious subject is what I refer to when I say the word I. And when I say the word I, I'm referring specifically to what, what I would call the soul. So I am a soul and I have a body. So it's not that I, quote, have a soul, but... On my view, quite literally, I am a soul that has a body, and a body without a soul would just be a corpse. Um, so, a so to define it, a soul I would say is uh, an immaterial substance that is a possessor of consciousness and is the very thing that um, animates and develops and forms a body. It's responsible for um, grounding uh, what I am, who I am, my nature, my capacities. Uh, my identity through change, um, which we, we can get into later. So without going too deep, just uh, for now, we could say that the soul is an immaterial substance that contains consciousness and animates the body. 
Um, now, of course, the next question will be, what is consciousness? <clears throat> now, consciousness um, can be defined a few ways, but the best way to do it is consciousness is something that would be defined ostensibly. So what that means is it's, it's uh, something you define by giving an example of or by pointing to. So if, I, if you were to ask me um, you know, to define the color purple, I wouldn't necessarily do it um, by giving you some type of proposition or definition, but I would point to something. Uh, which would mean that it, someone who's born blind, I couldn't define to them the color purple in that way. So you, you would have to have had an experience with it already to know what I'm talking about for, in order for me to cite an example or give an instance of it. Um, so that first of all, that's that's how it'd be defined. Um, now, consciousness, we can think of um, kind of like water comes in, can be can be in three different states. Water being a substance uh, can be in the states of solid, liquid or gas. I would say that uh, your, the soul is a substance and the soul has a capacity for consciousness and there are five states of consciousness and the five would be uh, thoughts, beliefs, desires, sensations, and acts of will. So those would be the, so that's what consciousness would be. It'd be anything that's going to fall under those five states. So my soul is a substance and it has different states and properties. Uh, there are five states of consciousness and uh, again, just really quick, thoughts, beliefs, sensations, desires, and acts of will. And um, when we understand what consciousness is, uh, it, it tells us about the thing that's going to possess him. And I would say that would be the soul. That's that's a quick rundown. Yeah. Well, that's that's very interesting because uh, I, I do like how you've gone quite in depth there into, uh, you know, usually you just get quite, um, you know, uh, the consciousness and the soul tend the, these two ideas tend to get like mushed together. So I like how you've separated them out into the different states. That's that's very interesting. Um, now I uh, I'll put forward what I think of as the obvious. Uh, now I don't believe that the soul exists, but I'll put forward what I what my definition of the consciousness is. So my definition is um, quite a simple one, which is simply our our awareness the fact that we are self-aware of of ourselves and others um that's what i put forward as the as the consciousness in my definition yeah yeah and, and that's uh, it definitely is a type of awareness and i would say that that would just fall into one of the five states so the reason um i i go to five states is because uh there are distinctions between the two so so maybe uh um being self-aware would be something perhaps sufficient for consciousness, but maybe not necessary. So there, there are there are times when uh, when you're talking about a, a certain state of affairs, there are certain conditions that are sufficient to bring about those state of affairs or to qualify as a certain state of affairs, but not necessary. So uh, I could say um, it raining is a sufficient condition for my grass being wet, but it's not necessary for my grass to be wet because uh, I could use sprinkler system, whatever. So, um, so, so while I'm not, uh, while I'm not necessarily disagreeing, I'm just saying, yeah, that 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 would be one aspect of what consciousness is. So, one of the reasons I, I give the five states. So, take like the first two thoughts and beliefs. There's a difference between thoughts and beliefs. Sure, there's uh, they're they're correlated, they're interrelated in even some aspects. But the easiest way to put it is, I can have thoughts that I don't believe, but I can also believe things that I'm not currently thinking. So since there's a distinction, these, these would have to be two uh, different types of, of states themselves. Um, and then one thing I would argue, because <clears throat> um, I'm assuming, well, I, 
maybe I should ask, would you say that consciousness is something physical or what would you say it is? Um, so when I delve into that question, um, so the, the, the by the, the byproduct, the things that create the consciousness, the, what the consciousness is tied to the brain is physical. Um, you know, so the, the neurons firing, the chemicals being released. Um, but the consciousness in my mind is, uh, an emergent property from, uh, from the processes of the brain. Uh, so itself is sort of an illusion in my mind. Um, it's what the brain does to explain the uh, causation, um, you know, the, the, the effects from the causation of brain chemicals and neurons firing and things like that. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, that's how I would explain that. Okay, yeah, and and tell me, and are you okay with just kind of going back and forth like this, um, talking yeah, about it? Yeah, that's absolutely fine. Um, I would say for the purpose of this conversation, I am quite happy to go along with your definition of the consciousness. Um, I would agree that the, those five states are um, all part and parcel of it, so I'm quite happy to go along with that for the sakes of this conversation. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because I, I, I forgot you know, uh, that that I guess I'm, I'm supposed to be one – being interviewed then i'm asking you questions because i was just curious to oh, some of the things fine. you said that's fine this is um, a conversation so awesome okay sweet so um yeah okay so it, it seems then like well i guess i should just maybe for probing in, into what you're saying uh, maybe i can go further into detail on, on my case would that would that be good yeah that's absolutely fine by me um yeah just you know go a little bit <clears throat> let's get a little bit deeper definitely Okay. Yeah. So, um, so whenever I give a case, uh, for the existence of the soul, I, I take this, uh, like a two point approach, so to speak, or, uh, I, I aim to, to, uh, prove two basic points. The first being that consciousness is not physical. And the second being that, um, I am more than a brain and body. Uh, and you can put it differently that I'm not reducible or identical to brain and body. I'm something more, namely a soul. So going to the first point, consciousness is not physical. When you look at uh, Leibniz's law of identity, uh, it, it's a basic principle that states that if two things in question are the same, um, say uh, something, some A and some B, if A is the same thing as B, then whatever is true of A is going to necessarily be true of B and vice versa because we're just talking about the same thing using two different terms for it. So if I said Eric Hernandez, which is me, of course, and Kendall's husband, that's my wife's name. Well, whatever is true of Eric Hernandez is going to be true of Kendall's husband because we're talking about the same person. So all the properties, states, whatever the case is, you know, my height, weight, it's all going to be the same because it's the same person. But in principle, if I can discover something true of one that's not true of the other, then even if I initially thought they were the same thing, it turns out they can't be the same thing. So let's let's take this notion and apply it to a reason why I would say that consciousness is not physical because um, the other position you would have – if there is no God, then I would argue that the most consistent position to take would be what's known as uh, strict physicalism, which is a view that human beings are purely physical uh, um, objects composed only of purely physical properties and parts. So consciousness, if it existed, would have to be identical and or reducible to something physical like the brain. <clears throat> so you have these two notions. You have the brain, then you have the mind. Now, if they're the same thing, which I would argue they would have to be, 
then given Leibniz's law of identity, whatever is true of one is going to have to be true of the other. But I would say that is easy to show that they're not the same thing because they have different properties. So let's take a state of the brain. Um, uh, when I'm in, when I have a certain uh, feeling of pain, there are certain C fibers firing off. Um, so there are certain neurons in my brain firing. Um, and then there's this correlation of this feeling of pain. So take a brain state, uh, any given neurons firing and take like a state of like a thought or belief. My thoughts and beliefs can be true or false, but neurons firing doesn't even make sense to call them true or false. Um, now, my brain can be in a state which weighs three pounds, but the belief that I'm talking to you right now doesn't weigh three pounds. My brain can be in a state of being in seven inches long, but the smell of a rose or the taste of a banana is not seven inches long. Um, so, and, and then the joke is, so while we may be having heavy thoughts, we're not going to go buy a neck brace after the show. Um, so while I can give many more examples, the point would simply be that if there are things true of my mind that are not, doesn't even make sense as a category fallacy to attribute these to the brain. So they're not true of the brain. Then it follows that if consciousness exists, it's not identical and irreducible to something physical like the brain. Um, so that would be the first part. I'll go ahead and stop there to see if there's any questions or well, comments or pushback. I actually, whenever I dropped out, it was because I was trying to unmute. I do have a question for you. You were talking about the five levels of consciousness um, and I don't know if you actually answered this because some of it, of course, I missed. But um, why, like, where do you get these five levels and why are there only five levels? Could you explain a little bit more to me about these five levels of consciousness? Yeah. So um, I so I wouldn't call them levels. I call them states. Um, so so you have uh, so, so what we're talking here is, is metaphysics. Um, and you have you have substances, you have states and you have properties. So. Let's just focus on something physical like water. It's a substance, and it can be in the state of being a solid, liquid, or a gas. So the substance remains the same. Its states can change, and as the states of the substance change, so do the properties. So when the water as a substance is in the solid state, it has a property of being hard. When water is in the uh, a liquid state, it has a property of being, uh, say, wet. When water, you know, and, and so on and so forth. So there are five states of consciousness. I want to call them levels because that would seem to, you know, bring in some baggage or imply some type of hierarchical order. Um, and now why five? Well, that because uh, I, I would argue that anything that that any conscious state you can point to is going to fall under one of those five categories. Um, could there be more? Sure. I, ju I just don't see. I, I just see that anyone that you define is going to be falling under one of those. And um why, why say this or where does this come from? Um, why I can point to a lot of uh, scholars who specialize in philosophy of mind who talk about these five states. Um, some of my favorite would be like J.P. Moreland, Richard Swinburne. Uh, you even have uh, atheists or agnostic philosophers uh, working in philosophy of mind like Jaguan Kim, um, who, who's not a believer and has some really interesting arguments. And uh, what's his name? Thomas Nagel uh, wrote a book not too long ago called Mind and Cosmos, where he basically argues that if we just look at the world and how it came about naturalistically, you're not going to be able to account for consciousness. And I think he's right there. Um, but yeah, without going any further than that, that that's how I would kind of clarify what you're asking about those five states. Cool. Thank you. I think you gave a, a great answer to that. So thank, thank you, you for clarifying. You have any questions for uh, Katie? Because I'm sure I could pull another one up. <laughs> yes uh so um what we were uh, talking about before um there about um the 
You know what? It's completely gone now. My thought. <laughs> I really need that brain fart uh, graphic. <laughs> hey man, I I do it every single time, so it's just a tradition around here. It's okay. We've uh <laughs> we've cursed Eric now. I don't know. Maybe he's uh above the level of brain farting, but <laughs> I can imagine he is. <laughs> I get soul farts sometimes. Okay, okay, soul farts. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I was. So yeah, I think it was along the lines of, um, was we were talking about how um, it, uh, the, uh, the the you know the thoughts aren't like sort of properties of the brain sort of thing. Um, so and uh, you know what? I'll get back to it because uh, you know. If you've got a question, just that's, think. That's the, uh, no, no, that's the I best way. Think just about because the the more stress you put into it, the harder it is to remember it. Mm. So um, you may have answered this with your last answer. Like I say, I, I'm a layman in a lot of ways. But um, how, how far down would you say a state of consciousness goes whenever it comes to living beings on, on this planet? Yeah, great question. So, I would, I would, I would say when it comes to consciousness, um, the way we would know anything else is conscious because this gets into what's called the problem of other minds. Is basically it's going to have to be through an inductive way, with I think this is justified. But when I look at let, let's say my dog and I see that, um, I notice that let's say my dog uh, uh, gets her paw on a nail and you know she she yelps. And I think to myself, you know, when I've stepped on a nail in the past, you know, I kind of shouted too and made that, you know, made a similar kind of uh, um, flinch. Um, and I remember what I felt when that happened. And I see my dog do that. And I think we're justified in attributing that same pain state to the dog. So we would say, oh, then that dog must be conscious in that way. And I think we're justified as, as when it comes to consciousness, as long as we can um, – see how animals are analogous to us in their behavior and interactions. So why, why did the dog just because he, he felt pain it's, there's no like evolutionary reason why he squelched when he stepped on the nail. Um, I, I'm not sure if evolution would, uh, would be relevant to uh, knowing that the dog is conscious or not. I would just say, given what we know about consciousness, well, uh, I was, I didn't, Oh, okay. I'm sorry. 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 No, I didn't mean to step on you. I was just no, saying no, that didn't. if, if uh, he was set, if you're saying that he was conscious because, you know, he, I, and I don't know if this is what you're saying, but he was conscious because he stepped on the nail and had a reaction to it. Is that what, what you were saying? Uh, no, no, I was saying, okay. I, I'm sorry. What, no, no, it's fine. I think what I took you to be asking was how can we, how do we know what other things are conscious is what, what I took you to be asking. And I would say, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Okay. Then, then, then when we look at their behavior and as long as I would say we can see an analogy between the way we behave in certain situations, states and the way other organisms behave in certain situations and states, I think we could attribute some type of consciousness. And so in other words, it's going to be a case by case basis. So that, that makes sense to me. Um, I, I was just wondering though, like, so I, I guess dogs perhaps maybe, you know, and I, I don't think that, I, or I'm not sure, I, I'm not the specialist, but I don't know that we can tell that dogs have a consciousness or anything. But um, just from what you believe, like, would, would you say that, like, 
fleas have a sort of consciousness or I, I just don't, I'm not sure if I understand your position well enough to know where it stops. Yeah. A g- great question. And, and I would, I would even say I'm, I, one, I would say, I don't even know if I could, t- I'd have to think about it and maybe, you know, make a list of where it stops. Uh, I've never, um, had the desire to, to figure out and look at every, everything that we know that exists. It's living and see where it stops. Uh, so I would just go back to the argument, what I gave and enlisting the five states of consciousness. If something has thoughts, beliefs, sensations, desires, or, or volition, then I would say we can attribute consciousness to those things. Um, can we attribute thoughts and beliefs to a dog? Absolutely. Can we attribute desires to a dog? Absolutely. Can we do that to a flea? Uh, I don't know. Um, I wouldn't have a problem saying that fleas are conscious, but have a, a lower level, lower order type of consciousness. And, and we see this with animals all the time. You know, when you look at, uh, take something like uh, an ape versus something like a rat, obviously there are different levels of cognition going on. Well, I, I, maybe I shouldn't say obvious, but it seems to me at least that there, there are different levels of, of cognition. There are different levels of awareness. Even when you look at dolphins who are incredibly smart animals, you see that there, there are different, um, there are different, capacities that things things have nevertheless i would say if something's conscious and it's going to be it's going to need uh, a soul to ground those states in because as i've argued earlier and i can get back to that if you'd like i would argue that consciousness is not something physical so when when i'm going to my two-step approach and i can give more arguments or reasons on thinking that consciousness isn't physical but to kind of i guess uh add add something else to the mix um and i don't mind going back and forth like i said so given that we know consciousness exists, and if what I've said thus far is correct, that it's not physical, which I don't see how one could argue it is, given Leibniz's law of identity, a law of logic, they share different properties, so it can't be the same thing as something physical like the brain, then the next question is, okay, well then, what, uh, what possesses consciousness? Because when states and properties exist and they show up in the world, they're always going to be possessed or grounded in something. So a property would be something like colors and shapes, you know, roundness, triangularity, those kind of things. Uh, uh, but when I, when I'm driving in the street, I don't, I don't avoid, uh, or I don't, I don't drive with this cautiousness of trying to avoid hitting the property of redness. It's not as if redness is floating down the freeway. Instead, I avoid hitting objects that are that possess the property of being red. So red objects, right? So properties are going to be grounded or possessed by something when they show up in the world. Um, that being said, <clears throat> um, conscious states and properties exist. So the question is, what is it that possesses them? So the question would be, well, what's conscious? Well, I know for sure I'm conscious. So then the question is, what am I? And that's when I go to the next point that I'm more than a brain and body. Using the same line of reasoning, Leibniz's law of identity. If something's true of A that's not true of B, they're not the same thing. Then I want to ask myself, okay, then what am I? And given what we've talked about so far, um, the two options on the table that we've been discussing would be I'm a soul, an immaterial substance, or I'm a physical, purely physical object like a brain and body. <clears throat> now, I would argue if there is no soul, that the body is, is just going to be some type of what the big word is, a myriological aggregate but we can just say aggregate for short. What's an aggregate? An aggregate is a collection of separable parts held together in a certain structure. So things like watches, Lego bricks, um, 
uh, uh, cars. These are aggregates. They're a collection of parts held together in a structure. So if I am just a brain and body and there's no soul, then I'm an aggregate. Now, I would say that leads into a lot of problems if that's the case. And I would just name three and I can go into detail if you want. But again, I'm just kind of throwing it out there. And um, after that, we can you, you can go wherever you guys want with it. Um, yeah. So one would be uh, identity through change. Um, purely physical objects or aggregates don't maintain identity through change of part replacement. What does that mean? Um, to give a quick rough and ready example, a tricycle is is uh, uh, something that possesses three wheels. So metaphysically speaking, if I remove a wheel from a tricycle, then in the technical sense, I can say metaphysically speaking, a tricycle ceased to exist and a bicycle came into existence, which I think shows us that purely physical objects don't maintain this identity through change. Um, so the question would be, um, I'm I so the argument would be I'm either a purely physical object an aggregate or I am an immaterial substance aka a soul. Um, well, I'm going to say aka, but you know for the sake here, um, or soul. Well, purely physical objects don't maintain identity through change. I do maintain identity through change. Therefore, I am not a purely physical object. Therefore, I am a soul, an immaterial substance. Um, Jaguan Kim, the uh, non-believer I, I was mentioning earlier, who's an expert also in this field, gave an interesting argument. In his book on philosophy of mind, he says, this brain and body did not exist in 2011, but I did exist in 2011. Therefore, I am not a brain and body. I must be something more than that. Uh, the second one would be uh, um, the argument from the indivisibility of personhood. And, and I'm going over technical arguments that I could spend hours on, but just, again, throw it out there. <clears throat> um, and there's a lot more. Uh, yeah, thank you. And, and there are a lot more, you know, I'm just kind of throwing, I guess, my favorite out. Um, and a visibility of personhood. So I possess a property of being a person. Um, now, going back to the two positions, I'm either a purely physical object, an aggregate, or an immaterial soul, a, sub uh, a substance, um, immaterial substance. If I am an aggregate, then it would mean that personhood would be a what's called what philosophers call a degreed property so let me explain that really quick you have degreed properties and non-degreed properties a degreed property would be something like the property of being loud or soft so uh, these are properties that can fluctuate and change they can come in percentages or degrees uh, they can exist in percentages so uh, something that is hard can be harder something that is loud can be quieter or louder um, so these are, are properties that can fluctuate. Contrast that with non-degree properties, which are properties that um, are all or nothing kind of things. They're, they either are or they are not. There's no in between. They're all or nothing. So this an example of that would be something like the property of being even, evenness. The number six and the number two are both numbers that are even, but it makes no sense to say that the number six is more even than the number two. Because the property of being even is an all or nothing kind of thing. Okay, so with that being said, if I am just a brain and body, or if I'm just the brain, or if I'm a combination of both, whatever the position is, well, then I would say then a consequence of that would be that personhood would be a degree property, which would mean, so men are typically larger than women, but it would make no sense to say that I am more of a person than a woman because I have more mass and matter. But if you're going to you're going to reduce the I 
what I talked about early in the beginning, the word I, if you're going to reduce that to a brain and body, then now you have de- persons being degree properties. But I don't think it makes sense to say that I had, like, especially if I attribute value to being a person, then it would make no sense to say that I have more value than a woman because I have more mass and matter. Um, if you were to cut off my arms and legs, I don't become 50% of a person. I'm still a whole person, but I do have 50% of a body. So if I can have 50% of a body and yet still be a whole person, then I would say it follows that the property of being a person cannot be grounded in something physical. It must be grounded in something else, namely my nature, me, the self, i.e. the soul. Um, so yeah, and then the, the next one would be uh, an argument from free will. And, and, and I'll just leave it at, at those three. And basically, if we're just a brain and body and there is no God, <clears throat> then the, the law of cause or closure would be true which states that every physical event is going to be caused by some prior physical event. So Aristotle said this. He said, if I move a rock with my staff, then I can explain the movement of the rock by my staff. So my staff moved the rock, my hand moved the staff, but then he says, but what moved me? Now, I would define free will as being uh, the source of your will or actions. So if I raise my hand and I'm the one that started the, this process that brought about my hand going up, then I had what I, what's called libertarian free will. But if you shock me with a taser and it causes my arm to shoot up, then I was caused by something external to me and I had no control over that. So I would say, so in that instance, I didn't have free will. So in order to have free will, you have to be the source of this uh, chain of events of whatever causes the action. <clears throat> okay. So going back to Aristotle's rock and staff illustration, if at this point, if you if if someone's going to deny the existence of the soul, then if they want to save free will, so to speak, then they're going to have to show that this chain of events of the hand, the staff moving the rock to show that this person had free will. They're going to have to say that some that this whole chain of events started within the person. So what could that be? Well, it's going to have to be something physical. OK, you could say, OK, a brain firing fired that caused my hand to move, that caused the staff to move, that caused the rock to move. So it started with me. I have free will, but I would say not so fast. Um, if there is no God and, and all you are is a purely physical uh, uh, object, then according to the law of cause or closure, every physical event is going to have a prior physical cause. So you're going to have to explain that brain firing by something. And at this point, you have two options. The first option is to say, well, another brain firing caused the other brain firing to fire. But then that just pushes back the goalpost because I could ask the same question. Uh, and then the second option, I think, which is the only option, is you're going to have to say at some point something external to my brain. And prior to that, caused something that caused the brain firing in me to fire. Then that caused the hand to move, that caused the staff to move, that caused the rock to move. But now you're no longer the first mover. You're now an intermediate mover in this chain of events. And thus, you do not have free will to perform that action. Um, now, I think we do have libertarian free will. I'll, set, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that open for questions. But if, if someone says, okay, well, I don't believe we have free will, well, then you're going to have to give up more responsibility and uh, rational responsibility or what I would call intellectual integrity. Meaning if – and I don't mean – when I say you, I don't mean like you specifically. But so if, if you out there claim to be an atheist and you claim to be an atheist on the basis of intellectual rational grounds, and if you even go as far as to call yourself a free thinker, well, if there is no soul and there is no God, 
then there can be no free will. So the last thing you can call yourself is a free thinker because all your thoughts, beliefs, and actions were causally determined by external factors beyond your control. But if you take intellectual credit for your beliefs or your lack of beliefs, however you want to define it, because of the evidence and what you've come to understand and, and believe based on a logical deduction or rational reasons, then you're going to have to posit something like free will. But if free will exists, the soul exists. And then I would argue you can't have the soul unless God exists. Um, that's a separate issue. Uh, and of course, going back to the moral responsibility, if there's no soul and there's no free will, um, then you can't hold people responsible. Just like I cannot blame a bullet or gun for a murder. I blame the person. But if much like the bullet and gun, the person was also just an intermediate mover in a causal trend of events, then it would make no sense to blame them in the literal sense as being culpable for the murder. So, um, yeah, just to reiterate, two points. Consciousness isn't physical. Um, second point, I'm more than a brain and body. I'm a soul. Uh, consciousness isn't physical. I'm conscious. What am I? I gave three examples to show that I'm not identical or reducible to my brain or body. One is uh, identity through change. Uh, physical objects don't maintain identity through change. I do, so I'm not a physical object. Indivisibility of personhood. If personhood, if I were just a brain and body, then being a person would be grounded in something physical like the brain and body. But we know that brains and bodies don't say the same. They fluctuate. Some people have more or less. But if we're going to be consistent, we would have to attribute that to uh, um, saying that men are more valuable or, or have more personhood than women. And I don't think that makes sense. And then finally, that there would be no free will. But I do think we do have free will. And to argue uh, uh, further, because I think we have more responsibility and I think people um, have intellectual integrity for the beliefs that they hold to. So if we do have free will, then a soul must exist because if there is no soul, there's no free will. But we do have free will. Therefore, I'm not just a physical object. I must be something more like a soul. Okay, right. do you have Very anything to ask him? Yes. So oh, there's quite a lot of um, quite a lot of information to get through there. Um, so yeah, sorry we'll, about that. Uh, we'll get onto the free will bit uh, a bit later on because uh, I do have um, I'm a determinist uh, at the moment, so um, I, we do have a bit of a difference there. Um, but going back to the point that I forgot, which Cat uh, the Humanist actually asked a question. I'll get that on screen. Yeah, uh, Captain Humanist was asking a question in the chat, which was similar to um, what I was thinking at the time, but it does lead nicely onto a point. I wanted, well, the first point I wanted to make in rebuttal to what you were saying there, um, which uh, she says, um, does he understand different parts of the brain are used for different types of what he calls states and different types of thought processing? Um, I'll let you answer that first before I move on uh, my answer to that is yes next question yeah so <laughs> <laughs> Let me... I'll, I'll expand a little bit more um, yes of course uh, we, I think we've always uh, known that there was a correlation between whatever's in here even even before neuroscience was ever discovered before I knew anything about neuroscience we knew that if a caveman hits another caveman over the head really hard with a club, he's going to get dizzy or pass out. So there was no question there's a correlation. It's not like, you know, like we've barely discovered this. And now it's like, oh, my gosh, now we, you know, we shouldn't believe in the soul. Um, but I would say uh, to, to keep it brief, <clears throat> I would say that um, it's no different than the correlation between, say, uh, a musician and his instrument. If I play guitar or piano. So say I'm the world's greatest guitar player. I'm not. I don't play guitar. 
but if you were to detune my guitar, you would affect the way the music is played. So sure, there is a causal relationship between the musician and the guitar. There's even a dependence relationship, but it makes no sense to say because there's a correlation or dependence relationship, therefore they must be the same thing. And I'm not saying that's what the person's saying, but uh, um, that that's one of one one thing to say towards those who would. And again, all it shows is that there's a correlation, but it doesn't show that the same thing, nor does it show that they're reducible to the other, um, nor does it mean that the music is inside the guitar. So I don't think I, I would argue that your your conscious states, thoughts, beliefs, sensations, desires and acts of will, they're not in your brain, they're in your soul, but they're correlated with something physical like the brain. Um, just like the note C is not in a guitar or in a piano, though it is correlated with certain keys and strokes of a guitar or piano, but it doesn't mean that they're in those things. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I can I can sort of agree with that definitely. Um, the point I wanted to move on to, uh, which uh, follows on from that, is that with brain states, is how you mentioned about how your identity doesn't uh, it doesn't change. So the, the 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 eye of yourself, the soul of yourself, if you will, uh, remains constant um, despite you know changes in the body. Um, now, I would uh, disagree with that in the sense of we know through neuroscience that if certain damage is done to the brain or certain different chemicals are released, i.e. with psychedelics and things like that, um, or electro, uh, you know, electrodes are placed in the brain and different signals are sent, then the identity of the person changes. Um, so the thoughts, the feelings, the emotions, uh, the and even down to the identity of the person, that I can actually change to something else. Um, uh, and I, I don't have on hand at the moment the research done into that, but I have read papers where neuroscientists have been doing this sort of work. Um, so I would argue that actually the... Um, that you know, at the I, the identity is uh, corresponds to what is in the brain, corresponds to the physical. Hence, I would argue it's an emergent property. Yeah, so so I don't I don't think calling it an emergent. Well, a, a few things to, to say to that. Uh, if I could push back, so mm -hmm. um, let me write it and let me write them down before I forget. Um, so so first, it'd be good to to identify or to define what I mean by identity. So in philosophy and metaphysics, when we're talking about identity through change. We're talking about something remaining the same substance at bare minimum. Um, so for example, um, I can take water and freeze it and it'll change states, but it doesn't, but it's still water, right? It's not a different substance. I can, I can boil it and make it into a gas, but it's still water. It's not, it doesn't change substances and vice versa. So I'm not saying that the states and properties of a thing doesn't change. I'm saying the thing that possesses it, the substance. Remember when I said I, I mean the soul. I mean, the if I, if I as a person am a soul, if I'm identical to my soul, then I as a person remain the same. And I would even argue that same uh, um, change presupposes sameness. In other words, if we're talking about change, we're talking about change with respect to something that is going to uh, um, to ground those changes. So when, in other words, 
<clears throat> even if I had brain damage and let's say I were to have a, a concussion and have memory loss, which I've had happen at least twice in my life. I can't remember exactly how many times, no pun intended, at least twice in my life. I've had times where I've been hit over the head and I've, I've uh, uh, lost my memory, which, which may explain a lot. Um, <clears throat> it's a really scary feeling. It's, it's terrifying uh, be because imagine it's almost like a freaky Friday situation where you wake up. And you don't know where you're at, who you are, and who the people around you are, and you're like, "What is going on?" It's such a terror. It, it really is. It really is quite a quite a terrifying feeling. Um, but here's my question: If we're going to reduce me to just memories or brain, then at that instance, did I cease to exist, and did another person come into existence until I got my memories back, and then I went back, and then that person that kind of stepped in for that moment went out of existence, and then I came back into existence? No, I think that I was still the same person. There were just some issues with my guitar tuning, if you will. Um, so, so I would I would say that in 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 the sense of identity, which is which is known as a strict sense of identity. I remain the same, even if there are replacements of memory or parts. But there, but again, change presupposes that there is something that is underlining that change. Um, otherwise, it's not a change. It's it's not a change in just properties. It's literally something ceasing to exist and something else coming into existence. Well, um, that sounds very scientific. That's you know, that sounds like quantum mechanical states to me. Yeah, and it, we can get into quantum okay. mechanical states if we so wish. Um, I, I'm just saying I, but... uh, that's just what, what it sounds like to me yeah. from what he's saying. Um, the change, like, you know, exactly. Just because we may be made up of one thing, everything about us is retained, even if we're made up of something completely different. Is that what you're saying? Um. Yeah, I, I guess I'd have to. I, I'd have to know what you mean by... That sounds quantum mechanical, but but to answer, I guess the way the way it it, it appeared to me is what I, what I'm saying is um, there has to be something that's going to underline and ground those changes. So again, when um, if I'm and this is I'm just shooting from the hip here, if I'm playing a song on my guitar and then I say uh, uh, play a different song, even though the song's different, it's the same. I'm playing the same guitar. Is what I'm saying. So uh, uh, now I'm, and and that can get confusing because I'm I'm not saying the guitar is a substance or anything like that. I'm just trying to find a, a relation, a different type of illustration here. Mm. Um, so I'm saying if we do maintain identity to change, then it's going to have to be grounded in something. That's of course assuming we maintain identity to change. You know, people can disagree with that, um, but if we do, then I would argue it's going to be have to, it's going to have to be grounded in some. Thing that is a substance that is transcendent to the physical, and that's just what a soul is. So, in sense, you're saying that it's still so going with the analogy of the guitar, for instance. Um, so, you can change the strings on, you can retune the strings on a guitar. You could change the strings on the guitar, but as long as it still has those six strings, it's still the same thing. Um, it, so, I, I would say no, and that's the... probably why I shouldn't have used the guitar because yeah. So I, the, <laughs> Uh, so when I was talking about the guitar, I was just talking about changing the song because it mm. seemed like we were talking about memories. So I'm thinking, well, maybe maybe I can use that, and I probably shouldn't have. Um, no, I think if you replace parts of a physical object, it's no longer the same. It's no longer the same object. Yeah, that's Here's what I was asking. Yeah, right. yeah, the illustration I usually give is the following when it comes to identity change. 
So, <clears throat> and this goes back to uh, the, the ship of Theseus, uh, that famous uh, example in philosophy. But I use a, uh, I kind of update it to use just a car example. Suppose you change the tires of a car. Is it the same car? And before you answer the question, suppose you were to take every single piece of the car and replace it, every nut and bolt, the windshield, bumpers, lights, everything. Is it the same car? Is it the original car? And then before you answer that question, suppose we take those replaced parts, put those back together, and now you have two cars, and the question is, which one of these two is the original? Now, I think regardless of your answer, I think the point is clear, and that's that they both cannot be the original, which I would argue shows that purely physical objects do not maintain identity through change of part replacement. Mm -hmm. So that being said, it goes back to the question of whether or not you think we remain the same. If you say we don't, then I think it gets into other issues, what, what we would call in philosophy, intellectual price tags that you're going to have to pay if you want to uh, hold or reject a position. And if you don't think we do maintain identity through change, then you're going to have to say that there's been multiple instances in your life where, well, no, not even your life, because that would that would assume identity to change. There, there was multiple instances in time where a person that looked just like you ceased to exist, and another person that looks just like you came into existence, and this kept happening over a series of events. And I think that's that's quite a quite an incredible position to hold to. But that's well, I would say that's what you w would have to hold to if you're going to deny something mm -hmm. like the soul. So let's put a, a, a philosophical um, uh, thought experiment onto the table. Um, so let's p suppose, right, we take, um, you know, some point in the future, uh, we, uh, mm -hmm. you know, take a human, we, we, we take a human brain and we take away the right hemisphere of that person's brain. And then we replace it with the right hemisphere from somebody else where the right hemisphere isn't isn't identifying. Uh, there's some people that have this uh, problem where the right hemisphere doesn't connect with the left hemisphere properly. Now, the parts have been changed, and now the person cannot see the right side of anybody else's face because the right hemisphere is not working. There's a, there's a very fundamental change that has been made in the way that person interacts with the world. Has, in that thought experiment, has that person still, are they still the same person? Or yeah, that's a great as... question. Yeah, good question. At first I thought you were going to something like what Alvin Plantinga gave as a thought experiment. Um, um, but, but the route that you're going is, so I think the two best options would be Either it's the same person that has lost some functioning or that person that had both hemispheres ceased to exist. And now this, you know, let's say it was me. Let's say you have Eric. And then when you remove that part of the brain and, and whatever else you said, then now you have Eric Prime. So now it's a different Eric. It's not it's not even the same person. It's a uh, Eric. Eric one ceased to exist. And now Eric squared or Eric two point oh, whatever came into existence. And now it is literally a different person. I would say I would go with the first option. I'm still the same person, but I've lost functioning. So I can lose functioning, but that would be that that would still go into um, the fact that I would argue I'm not identical or reducible to my functioning. So I can still be a 100% person and the same person, but I've lost some functioning due to kind of like the guitar detuning it. So, uh, well, actually, you know what, Katie? 
I think you're on a roll here because I, I I'm gonna derail the train. So go ahead with what you were saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unless, no, it was just a thought experiment that I put forward. Obviously, I would I, I would argue more for the second point that the person has now fundamentally been changed in the physical makeup of, of the brain, um, and as seen as the consciousness is, in my view, um, a, an emergent property of that said brain then the, the the person the identity of that person uh, has also been has now been fundamentally changed okay yeah so so if i if i can go with that thought experiment uh, that you're using and see what you think here um suppose uh um you have person a who is married happily married let's say they've been married for 50 years whatever the case is uh, and then this happened to person A, and let's call person A's wife Susie. When this happens to person A, you're telling me that person A has ceased to exist, and now there's a new person that exists, and person A has ceased to exist. Is Susie now single? No, because her per- because her perception would still be that uh, you know she's married to person A. <clears throat> Yeah, um, but person A ceased to exist, though. So, so, so then you're saying she now has had at least two husbands at this point in her life. Um, you know that that is a, that is a difficult one. Um, I will give you that. Uh, <laughs> that that is a difficult one to answer. I appreciate um, your honesty. And you know, I, I, I'd have to give that one a little bit of thought. I'd I'd think, but I, I don't know. There's, I think there's I would... a lot of difficult questions yeah. whenever it comes to philosophical. Uh... Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, you know, I, I think that you know because I'm talking about the consciousness in it's the way we perceive the world. So person B at this point might not perceive himself as being married. He may feel he's now a different person. Um, so you know, it, philosophically speaking, then technically no he's not married anymore uh but her perception is that she's well, still married anymore but remember on your position it mm. is a new person so you couldn't say anymore because that would assume he was married in the first place right yeah um you know i'm tying this you know philosophically i'm thinking of this in philosophically and legally so legally technically he's still married but philosophically speaking he's now not because he's now a different person um so the you know there is a there's definitely a contradiction in that sense of it that's why i'm saying i'm gonna have to give this one a little bit more thought um fair enough (laughs) and i would just and and to not push back but just maybe to just add something to it is um uh to to just make make the uh, point that there's a difference between how we perceive things versus whether or not those things are actual so there's a difference between um, our epistemic beliefs and perceptions about the world versus the ontological reality of the world. So if people perceive the world as flat, it doesn't make the world flat, of course. So even if the perception was there, it wouldn't mean ontologically speaking that was the case. So so we would have to make that distinction there. Um, now, just giving it a little bit more thought there, um, I think I need to explain a little bit more about how I'm perceiving consciousness. Um, in in this sense, so I'm thinking of consciousness in the sense of uh, in, within neuroscience. Say, like I move, uh, I move my, my my arm, 
Now, my brain's already decided to move my arm before I've had the thought to move my arm. And in, within neuroscience, there's this idea that, to explain this, um, that uh, what's happening is you're not in control of your actions. Your arm moves, and then your brain tries to explain why your arm moved, then consciously rewrites the memory to say that you chose to move your arm. Um, so in that sense, consciousness in my mind is an illusion. It's something that our brain is writing um, as a user interface so we can understand what's happening better. Um, I think I could be along those lines a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I, I think going back to the analogy of person A and person B, um, it would come down to how person B's brain is now going to rewrite the experiences that he's now having. Um, so the, hopefully the brain would, obviously we've not done this, so we don't we, we, we don't know how it would work in reality, but uh, I would suppose that person B's brain would rewrite it in so that he is still the same person, is still married to person A. So his perception, he, although he's not him anymore, he's not person, the first person anymore, um, he would still perceive it to be that way because of consciousness being an illusion. Yeah, so 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 a few things. Um, I, I, I would just reiterate the distinction about perception versus reality. Whether he perceived it or not would be independent of whether or not this is the same person or it's a different person. Um, so emergence, you, you've mentioned emergence a few times. Um, so emergence is a position, and it's, it's a swing at trying to solve what's called the hard problem of consciousness. And I don't see what the problem is, much less it being hard, because it's only, quote, the hard problem of consciousness for a naturalist, which is how can someone who, and I'm not saying you do, but typically naturalists would be emergencies, that how can we explain the existence of whatever this is, consciousness, uh, by, as Nagel would argue, just rearranging physical parts of matter, kind of like Lego bricks to oversimplify it. Um, <clears throat> but I don't think emergence solves a problem of the hard problem of consciousness. I just think it slaps a label on the problem. So even if you were to go to the emergence route, it's not a solution. It's just labeling the solution. Um, and even, even, even then, um, you, when, you, when you look at physical objects, <clears throat> if you're going to talk about emergence, I, I think the only type of properties that would emerge would be what are called structural properties. Uh, a structural property is, is – is pretty much what it sounds like at face value. If I have a pile of 10 wooden boards, then I can say that this pile has a property of being, you know, or, or that this, this, these 10 wooden boards have the property of being a pile. But if I rearrange their structure, then I can, it can now have that same amount of material wooden boards can now have the property of being a raft. And if I change it again, it's now the property of being a ladder. So you can have these quote, emergent structural properties but note that these properties are going to be dependent on the structure and arrangement. Um, but you're not going to get anything new, what, what would be called in philosophy, sui generis, uh, fundamentally new kinds of properties. In other words, I'm not going to rearrange the furniture in my house and get the color blue. 
I'm not going to take a red brick house and rearrange it and get the color yellow because those aren't the kind of properties I get from rearranging physical objects. Now, that being said, I don't think consciousness could be an emergent property by just rearranging the structure of neurons. Um, there, there's a lot more to say that, but I'll just kind of leave it there if you want to push back. And uh, the last thing I want to say uh, before I hand it back over is you said the brain decides um, before you do. Um, may, maybe maybe that was just kind of fast and loose, but let, let me uh, push back a little bit. Um, because if you're, you're going to say that the, that the brain decides, then how many how many consciousnesses are within the body or wherever you think consciousness is? Is it the brain and then you? Uh, you know, what is it? And then at some time, I'd like for you to explain what you mean by consciousness is an illusion because I don't think I follow. Well, like, so I, I just want to jump in here because you started talking you about emergence, in, Justin. and that is what I really wanted to jump in on. Um, whenever it came to your five, um, you didn't want to say levels, let's just say types. I can't remember what, what you referred to them states. as, or states of uh, consciousness. Um, now, would you say that those five states of consciousness could be emergent from need for adaptability? Um, I, I think that's a separate issue to why they emerge if they did as to whether or not they could emerge. Because going back to the red brick house, I could say that rearranging red brick houses to get the color yellow was to adapt, but that's irrelevant as to whether or not rearranging red bricks could actually get me the emergent property of yellow. I think those are two separate questions. Do you believe in um, Dawkins' evolution? No, I, I don't. I reject... Um, Darwinian evolution. Or Darwinian. Evolution. I'm sorry. Gosh, that's so stupid of me. But okay, that's that's good to <laughs> no, know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So now, I, I don't have now while I reject it, there are Christians who do believe in it. I personally don't. Um, but it's also not an issue for me. Um, you know, I wouldn't lose sleep if if you know I were to be convinced that it was true. It wouldn't it wouldn't have any any uh, effect, I'd say, on anything that I've said today. Well, there's no reason to go down the evolution rabbit hole then. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, that's getting a little bit off topic. We can uh, skirt around evolution for, t for today, I think. <laughs> um, well, I, I mean, I personally believe that it is a product of evolution, but you're right. Yes, we can skirt around it. I, I do as well. Um, so it, it would be key to my argument. But, um, you know, it is a long conversation, uh, it, evolution. So, um, yeah, so... In response to this, I, I will I'll uh, uh, make a change to what I said. So I, I made a mistake by saying that the brain decides. Uh, that was a little bit fast and loose. Uh, sorry about that. Um, sorry. Yeah. So it, it's not that the brain's deciding. It's the uh, it, it's that the it, that the causes and effect that the causes create a certain set of effects um within the brain so it, it's it's causation not 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 decision okay yeah and uh, just just because you're about up evolution um if we did go that route i would bring <laughs> i would bring up another argument that would be related to my free will issue in that if there is no god and naturalistic evolution were true then you now have an undercutting defeater for absolutely any belief that your brain produces including the belief that you lack belief in God or that there is no God. Um, I'm not sure if y'all are familiar with that argument or not, um, but but I would think that would just get into further issues philosophically. So even if I granted your position, I would think it only led to 
further price tags that you would have to bite the bullet on if that were true. Yeah, that's that. You know, um, that's absolutely fine. Uh, I can, uh, as I say, it's a it's a bit of a rabbit hole to go down. So uh, probably best, you know, if we have time in a bit, then maybe uh, go down that route. But uh, I think we've got a, we've got a lot to cover. So, <laughs> um, was there any more points you wanted to make, Justin, before we move on? Um, you know, no, I, I, that's that's basically. But um, my questions would would be about um, would be centered around Darwinian evolution and how I mean, yeah, like you said, there are Christians that believe in Darwinian evolution. And um, if you if you don't um, and you don't want to, like, speak on that, which I completely uh, understand, then I, I don't know. I, I'm going to have to formulate uh a good question to ask you because like i said that's i believe it um is emergent from uh evolution so it's kind of hard for me to uh, think of a question on the spot yeah and and, and the reason and that would be fine even if, if you did want to go to that right i don't have a problem with it i just quite frankly wouldn't have much to contribute to be to be honest with you um just because it's not an area of interest for me uh the only thing i would where i would contribute is to say that kind of what I said earlier, it wouldn't necessarily be relevant as to whether or not this could actually happen in the first place. In other words, uh, suppose, um, so here, here's a perfect example. <clears throat> I Would you guys claim that this belief in God was something that human beings evolved for adaptationary reasons, perhaps to deal with grief or fear or anything like that? Yes, so I okay. argue that the belief in God is um, an emergent property from uh, the right hemisphere of the brain, which deals with rationality and trying to explain things um, uh, that we don't understand. So right. uh, that makes going sense. back so, to the so... caveman doesn't understand what lightning is, so he puts a, he gives it the name of a spirit, you know, sure. is controlling that. So, so here's here's why I asked that in my point is because things can happen evolutionarily speaking that don't necessarily reflect to whether or not that's the way the world actually is, right? So you guys don't believe in God, yet you you give an evolutionary explanation as to why people do believe in God and why it tends to be something cross cultural for the most part. Um, so, in other words, it's irrelevant as to why something quote emerged or came about as to whether or not the thing in question is true or false. So that being said, one, whether or not it emerged for adaptationary reasons or not, I would say is irrelevant as to the question of one, did it really happen that way? And two, could it have happened that way metaphysically? Um, and and I, so in other words, I would say that that question regarding why it emerged evolutionarily speaking would be irrelevant to the arguments that I've been given, kind of like uh, whether or not God exists is a question and the question of why people believe in God is irrelevant as to whether or not God exists, actually exists in the first place. Does that make sense? I, I understand where you're yeah, coming I from. So. I, and I, I think that my, I go along with what Katie is saying um, to where it is an emergence of our brain and we, it's, it's a way to, like I said, adapt to our atmosphere. And the reason I was getting down to the evolutionary point is like I said, uh, or asked you at least was, could these be 
property properties of um, a uh, oh gosh, I, I just used the word um, adaptable standpoint because well, like as I believe in Darwinian evolution, that adaptability is the primary um, need to survive in um, this world. And the and the thing with um with, you know when the you know with rationality is, um when you're trying to explain things that you don't understand, um you 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 don't necess- it doesn't always necessarily have to be true the explanation. So when we were explaining things back with you know in the evolutionary past, when we were explaining things a certain way, then they didn't necessarily need to be true. They just need to make the most sense at the time. Uh, so as we've progressed and now we have more evidence, then we've come to a greater, deeper understanding of things. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that what we're saying tonight is true. Um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, there could be evidence that we're missing. Um, so... I truly don't know either. Yeah, you're right. I I know I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I would say. Um, uh... Speak for yourself. What I'm saying is true. So if you, <laughs> I, 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 I think I'm humble enough to say that I, I don't know everything. I can speculate. I can presuppose. But um, to say that yeah. one thing is for sure, I think that there are too many surprises that uh, happen to, um, yeah. to say that it's all yeah, and, um, answerable. And I was saying that somewhat jokingly, of course. Um, of course, I do believe what I what I what I'm saying is true. But um, but but s- since we're kind of going down this route, or I guess maybe we're not in the rabbit hole, but we're kind of we're kind of poking around it. Um, <clears throat> so I, I, I totally agree with what Katie said in that. So Ivan Plantinga's evolutionary argument against naturalism is is one of my favorite and fascinating arguments. That basically that uh, the, the the gist of it is that. Our cognitive faculties, however we come to form beliefs, just like just like everything else that we have today, is granted to us through natural selection for survival value, which means, literally speaking, everything, including our beliefs, are aimed at survival value and not necessarily at truth value. And Katie said it wonderfully, that if that's the case, then our beliefs don't have to be true, they just have to... Uh, a grant survivability or adaptive behavior. So given that you guys agree with that, I don't know if you've heard the argument or not, but here's the illustration I use, which means your beliefs don't have to be true. So <clears throat> suppose there's a car coming towards me, and I and this, of course, assumes that on physicalism you can have beliefs in the first place. I don't think you can have beliefs if physicalism is true because I don't think you can get immaterial conscious states and properties emerging by rearranging Lego bricks, if you will, kind of like the red brick house analogy and, and the color yellow or blue. But if we just, for the sake of argument, uh, uh, grant that, a car comes towards me, I form the belief a car's coming towards me, I better jump out of the way. Those beliefs cause the behavior of jumping out of the way, and it grants survival value. So for natural selection, that's all that matters. So to personify, it says, looks good enough to me, let's pass those beliefs on to the next generation, it works. But suppose I had a different set of beliefs. A car's coming towards me, and I form the belief there's a car coming towards me, but I also have the belief that I'm Superman. And if it hits me, it's not going to kill me. However, I want to protect my identity as Clark Kent. So in order to protect my identity, I jump out of the way of the car. So I jump out of the way of the car. The car misses me. 
Those beliefs, though false, produce behavior that granted survivability. So my beliefs don't have to be true for them to be passed on. They just have to work. It's aiming for survivability, not truth value. If that's the case, then we now have an undercutting defeater that removes any justification for any belief our brain produces, which means if your brain produces a belief there is no God, then we shouldn't trust it because we know that that belief wasn't produced and aimed at, at truth. It was just aimed at survivability. So it, it would, if that's true, then you now have an undercutting defeater for any belief your brain produces. I don't know if you can have an undercutting defeater if what you're doing is being skeptical at all points and any time that something changes, you go through the scientific process to see if there's any merit to it. I mean, uh, I, I've heard your uh, clock uh, microwave unplugged. Uh, and the, the thing is, is, well, you would realize that the microwave was unplugged and you would do a process to figure out what time it actually was. So I maybe I'm wrong. I would like to hear your thoughts on that at least. Yeah. So, so for the listeners who maybe aren't familiar with it, uh, let me just explain that that illustration you're, you're referring to. And I'm I, I appreciate the fact that you you've you've watched at least one or two of my videos, given that you've heard the illustration. So it's I'm flattered. Thank you. Um. So the illustration I give uh, in regards to the argument is I say, imagine you wake up from a nap and you look at the microwave to see what time it is, and the microwave says 12 o'clock. But then you realize it's really hot in the house and there's water under the fridge. And when you look back at the microwave, you actually realize it's blinking 12 o'clock. So then you come to the conclusion, oh, the power went out. Now, initially, you formed the belief it was 12 o'clock based on the reading of the microwave. But now that the power has gone out, you now have an undercutting defeater for the justification that it is 12 o'clock. Why? Because you've based that belief on the microwave, and yet the microwave, the power went out. So now it's no longer something that you can rely on. It's not a reliable mechanism for telling time. That's the problem I think you have with the brain and, and uh, uh, Darwinian evolution, um, if, if there's no God. But now what you're saying is, but we can test them. But the problem with that is, to me, going back to the illustration, that's like saying, oh, I thought it was 12 o'clock, but now we know the power went out. Is it 12 o'clock? Well, it could be. It could not be. At this point, I don't know. But you know what? I do believe it's 12 o'clock, so let me test that. And then you run to your bedroom. And you look at the alarm clock, which is also plugged into the wall and connected to the power, and you see that your alarm clock says 12 o'clock, and you say, ha, I knew it. See, I had a belief, and I tested it. Well, the problem, of course, is that whatever the power outage that affected the microwave and made the microwave an unreliable mechanism for determining the time has equally affected the alarm clock. So you cannot use your justification that it is 12 o'clock because of the microwave and then justify the reading of the microwave by your alarm clock because they were both affected by the power outage. Science is all about finding unreliable mechanisms and then perfecting the idea of them. How can I, you rely on something that's unreliable? I mean, so you find that it's not 12 o'clock because, you know, time is clearly moving and both clocks neither one is working so neither one of them is an undercutting defeater because at that point you realize that the clocks are not a substantial source of information and you need to come up with a different way of gaining that information yeah so, so that's sorry oh sorry no go for it okay so so i was saying yeah so perfect that's that's exactly the point though 
because an, the illustration is analogous to the brain and natural, uh, natural, uh, naturalistic evolution. With regards to naturalistic evolution, your brain would be the microwave. And if you're going to agree with me that you that it's no longer a reliable mechanism for telling time, then you, you're exactly right. You would have to find out. You would have to find another way of. But our brains aren't microwaves. Time. Our brains well, can did, like problem solve. So well, well, let me let me finish the thought first, and then and Sorry. then. No, no, it's fine. In other words, uh, bring. In other words, bring that up after I finish my thought, because I'll forget what, yeah, what you said. Yeah, yeah I'm so <laughs> sorry. No, no, don't, don't, no need to apologize. Um, so, in other words, you would have to find a different mechanism to tell the time. But let's say you were limited only to the microwave and your alarm clock. Well, then there's no way you're going to know what time it is if those are the only things you're using. Now, with regards to naturalistic evolution, if you now know your brain is like the microwave, it's been affected by the power outage, what else can you use but your brain to do anything? Well, nothing. So if you're stuck with the microwave, you're not going to know what time it is because the undercutting defeater is a power went out, so it's no longer a reliable mechanism for determining truth. Well, if the microwave is analogous to the brain, then you're stuck using it. And no matter what experiment that you do, no matter what you take, and if we're going to throw in, because this is related to the free will issue, it has the same implications. If there's no free will, then your very beliefs that your beliefs are true are equally undercutted and are equally determined uh, uh, and it's just pushing back the goalposts. Yeah, so I'd like to jump in. Um, Catherine Miss is saying, not a good example to anyone with decent critical thinking skills. And I think that I can elaborate on that a little bit. So I think a better analogy for our brains wouldn't be the clock on your microwave, but would be a clock that's connected to the uh, to the internet. So if there was a power outage on the source that the clock was using and the clock became unreliable then yes the information coming in is now false and is not reliable so it's connected to the internet though so you would change the source you would find a new source that is reliable um, and I think that's a better analogy for what's happening what happens with our brains using critical thinking skills we're able to realize when the information is unreliable and when we need to go and search for more reliable source. Yeah, but but I so I think changing the illustration doesn't doesn't help the point because you, you I think because I even in changing the illustration you still conceded that if the source itself is what's flawed and and unreliable, then you need to change sources. But that's just the point. You can't change uh, if if naturalistic Evolution is what gave us our brains, and we've already discussed it's not aiming at truth necessarily. It's aiming at survival and adaptive behavior. Then you can't change the source because all you have is your brain. Um, and if you point to someone else's brain or something else, you're still you're still caught in the same problem. And and if you give up free will, then saying we can recognize when we need to change sources is really technically saying I am causally determined to believe that I am right or wrong and I'm causally determined to believe that I need to change. And I'm causally determined to believe that the best way to change is to change to this method, even if in fact, all of that is false, but you're going to be determined mm -hmm. to believe it no matter what. And I think that's the problem when, with giving up free will is you cannot have intellectual integrity. When I say a change in the source, I don't mean changing the brain, changing the actual physical parts to it. So the brain is 
it's got two different it's got two two things to it so you've got the physical matter there that's thing but it, it it's a computer it it is an advanced computer so you it takes in information so you, you so it's able to when i say change the source i mean change the source of the information that's coming into it so because it processes information and outputs it as um consciousness or a user interface if you like if we're going to talk about computers. So can I ask you the question that I, that I like to ask all people who hold to the terministic view that you do, if you're mm -hmm. okay with that? Yeah, yeah. I'm um, fine with that. So you don't believe in free will, correct? No, I don't believe in free will. I believe in a deterministic uh, world. So it's two parts. I believe in probability and determinism. So under probability, before an action's taken place, there's a certain number of outcomes that can happen given the uh, set of causation and then once it's happened it's then determined so so here's a question i like to ask did you freely come to believe that you that we don't have free will no okay so why should anyone believe that we don't have free will if it, in other words if i take a mechanism that was determined or random uh, set inside the microwave. Let's use a magic eight ball. You may have heard me use this one as well. And I shake the magic eight ball and say, will it rain? It says yes. I shouldn't necessarily believe it because it's not designed for truth. It's determined by what it, even if determinism should, whatever you want to put in there, why should I believe it? So if, if you're saying there is no free will, even if you give me the reasons you came to believe it, that's no different than shaking the magic eight ball every time. It's not a rash. And I'm not saying you're not rational. I'm saying on your position, there could not be rationality in that sense because it's all going to be determined and you're just going to be determined to believe that your beliefs are rational even if in fact they are not well this is where the, uh, the what i was talking about earlier with the illusion and i will i will i know that you asked me to go further into that um but you know I, I, this is where i i put in that you know the consciousness is an illusion so everything is determined and then our brains in um give us give us the sense of free will give us a sense of consciousness so that we so that we're able to function better with the thoughts the feelings the beliefs and all of that um it's emergent from adaptability yeah so it's it, so in my sense so the way i look at it is it's a it's an illusion in the sense of um the uh computer operating system that you're looking at right now is an illusion it's not there it's ones and zeros but you can't understand the ones and zeros so we code the ones and zeros in a certain way so that you are able to visually see a user interface you know the when you clicked on the link to join into this that link didn't exist it wasn't a link that physically existed somewhere it was a set of ones and zeros that was graphically um uh, made so you were able to click it but at the you know at, at its base it was just ones and zeros and that's the same with our brains so our brains are just a collection of neurons and chemicals you know but we can't understand neurons and chemicals so our, what our brains do is they give us a user interface they write us up a a, a set of senses that we're able to use to understand things and so, give us consciousness. Uh, uh, two questions. One's just for clarification, so so you can just 
be brief if you want, because I'm just trying to understand it. Uh, when you say uh, when you say consciousness is illusion, do you mean free will is an illusion, or do you mean all the conscious states that I mention are an illusion? So yeah, um, free will is an is, is an illusion in my mind. That is definitely an illusion. Now the the properties are sort of an illusion and sort of not of an illusion in some senses. So. Um, you know, we perceive them as being real, hence they're the real in that in, in in that sense. But they are just an output from our brain. It but they're a real a, output, right? Yeah, so our brain is outputting things, but we perceive them uh, very differently to how they you know how 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 they are output from the brain. In in a and sense, I, say I'm not a neuroscientist, so I'm not. Uh, I notice you're saying, and here's the other thing that, that I wanted to ask was I noticed you're saying our brain gives us this and our brain outputs this to us. I, I'm, I'm curious as to what you mean. Yeah. Who is the us? So language when... lets us down a bit here. That's <laughs> I'm sorry. That language is uh, letting us down a little bit here. Um, you know, these are concepts which are quite hard to, ex to, to explain in, in language, but. Yeah, be, well, uh, so, well, I think the way I explain them in, in language, I think you know, work. Of course, you you disagree, but but I th I think there's some some intuition going on there that even if so, so, I'm fine with saying that in some instances our brain can give us mental states. I have no problem with that. You can uh, put electrodes on my brain and shock me and make me you know believe that I'm in Hawaii. That that's I have no problem with that, but. There is a distinction between me, the self, and the brain. So I guess the, I guess for your position, it would have to be a question of what is the I, the self? Is it is it mm. a brain? Is it a brain and body? Uh, um, and then of course those go into the issues I've already mentioned. But who is the brain giving these things things to? Who's having the illusion? And I don't even know if you can call it an illusion. I I, I think I get what you're saying, but I don't know if illusion would be the right word. But like, for example, when I have a feeling of pain, that's a conscious state, but it's not an illusion. It's quite vivid. It's quite real. Even if it's phantom yeah. limping, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's no illusion going on there, I'd say. Yeah. So the, uh, obviously it, with, with pain, let's take that, that's actually a good example. So with pain, um, what you're, what, what you're, what's actually happening is obviously the nerve endings are being damaged. You know, so your, your nervous system is being damaged and then that is being input into the brain and the output of that is the feeling of pain. So the, the input is very real that, you know, the nerve en endings have been affected. So the, you know, the physical state has been altered, but the output is what is the illusion. You feel the pain. There's a feeling there. That's the illusion that, that, that you know, that, that that your brain is outputting to you maybe illusion is a maybe not the best uh, way of um of terming that um i'm trying to think of another term for it now but you know um yeah maybe can you think of another term for that fad is uh dude i'm so sorry i was kind <laughs> of um thinking about my mind can't get off of this one set of questioning <laughs> i'm trying to yeah i'm sorry I, I I don't if you could say what you were saying again, maybe I could help you. 
Yes. Uh, so I was talking about how um, and Eric put forward an, an an analogy which is quite good, which is pain. So we feel pain, and um, so the pain is real. Now, what I'm saying is that the the nerve endings being affected, that's real, um, and that is being input into the brain. Now, the brain is outputting a feeling of pain. The feeling itself is an illusion. That's just what the brain is outputting to us to let us know that something is up in the body. Something is wrong there. Now, okay. we're saying yeah. maybe illusion is the wrong word. Okay, but, well... I mean, if you were to say that, then a lot of things have consciousness. And that's actually kind of along the thing, along the questioning I wanted to ask was, I mean, you were willing to go down and say that a dog has consciousness and you thought that maybe it may be futile to go down and ask if fleas have consciousness. But very apparently the line of questioning that we're talking about is, you know, pain a... Um, a part of consciousness. Um, I have a very pointed question, though. You like to, regarding the five types. Um, uh, before you get into uh, that, I've just got another one. Yeah. Uh, uh, Go for it, please. Josh please. has just messaged in the chat. Um, he's saying hallucinations, and I would I would agree with that. So the brain is basically making you hallucinate the sense of pain. That's and the yeah, same I consciousness. That You're good, hallucinating good to... uh, consciousness. It, I, I would say that that's good. And like I say, I think that that's, that's all emergent from what, what I, I'm kind of getting to. Um, the question is, if you lose one of those five types of consciousness, are you still conscious? How many, if you only have one, are you still conscious in your uh, viewpoint? Yeah. Yeah. So if, if you only have one, you're still conscious. So I would be willing to bet that you're you would be pretty open to saying that things of very um a very wide range of things can have consciousness if uh it doesn't need all five tenants yeah yeah um so what about like cells and stuff could they they be conscious uh, they could be. I don't know if I have any reason to think they are. Well, if they rely on the tenants, which I was asking you earlier, if they could be emergent from properties of adaptability, which would be survive, you know, help helping survive. Um, it's it's basically getting down to that question: is do you think that it could be em emergent if cells are showing some sort of consciousness and it is only not leveling up but there are different types of consciousness coming into existence as we as things become different i don't want to say evolve because i know um it's it's not exactly what you believe in but from i guess from this point of view from this frame framework that that's what it is um as we evolve, I see that we do, you know, we could have those five um, points of consciousness, but maybe only started as one and 
through working to adapt and survive, we believe, just as Katie was saying, we see a or comprehend a consciousness as a way to uh, to survive. I mean, we don't see everything that's in front of us. We see only what we need to survive, correct? Like we don't need to see the quantum realm or anything of that nature. It would be pretty cool though, because I did like the Ant-Man movie. If we could. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, lots I could touch on there, but maybe just to, to, to keep it as relevant as possible. Um, I don't. I'd have to hear reasons why someone would think cells are conscious before I could buy into it. In other words, saying that it's possible doesn't mean I. I, I believe it. They are. It just means sure. I'm open to it. But you know, uh, I guess you could say I'm agnostic on it. I'd have to hear reasons why. And unless I hear convincing reasons, I don't have a reason to think that they are conscious. But even if uh, you were to go with, oh, I'm sorry. I was just going on the five tenets that you're saying, and you said that it could be. A reduced down to even one tenant in consciousness could still be there and I, I believe i asked you earlier if um well maybe i, I just lost track katie you katie, asked me about a yeah, yeah, brain yeah. fart with with, um, con with consciousness of the cells you're on your own with this one because that <laughs> well <laughs> but, but what basically is it. what i'm saying it <laughs> i could see that it relates to your tenants if you can reduce it down to even one of these tenants I, I believe that consciousness definitely could be a faculty in ad adaptation. Yeah, I'm still not sure if I follow, but even if we were to reduce it down to one faculty, I, I guess I'd still have to hear which faculty someone would think that a cell, which, which state of consciousness. Survivability, adaptation. Hmm. That's not a state of consciousness. Okay. What were your five states again? I mean, it, Thoughts, if only one thoughts. thoughts beliefs sensations desires or acts of will and not none of those have anything to do with survivability well well they have if by have to do with you mean do we think about these things sure but i don't in other words natural selection has to do with survivability, but natural selection isn't conscious. It's not a thing, right? It's not something out there, so to speak. Um, so I agree. Have right, so you can have natural selection without consciousness. So I don't see why saying that having consciousness can aid in survivability. Therefore, survivability would have to do with consciousness. It's kind of I, I don't necessarily believe in a consciousness. Where I'm coming from is exactly where Katie's coming from is it's an illusion or not an illusion of sorts yeah, but it's like i said earlier we're only seeing the parts that we need to see to survive and our idea of consciousness um is a very good way to adapt to our current um to our current surroundings and as you said it could be reduced to even one state well if we have consciousness that is changing through you know i i guess what whatever you would say how whatever's making consciousness change perhaps the complexity of the brain or whatever it it is um actually that's a good question what is making consciousness change if you could um, deduce it down to one level 
uh, the or not level, but one trait of consciousness equals consciousness. What uh what evolved to all five traits? Like why? Well, well, um, again, a, f- a few things. I- I'm curious to 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 what I'm I'm saying this not so you can answer now, just so I don't forget it. One thing that crossed my mind was I'm curious to on y'all's view. What is it that possesses consciousness? Um, so maybe you can just think of that. But I don't want to forget that question. So I'm saying it now. What, on your view, what possesses consciousness? What is what is the thing that's conscious? And now uh, to to answering your questions, um, you were asking about uh, uh, what evolved to have all five states. Um, I, so given that I, I I don't accept evolution, but even even if I were. Um, it, it still sounds like whether intentional or not, it sounds like you're kind of asking me to like, give you a list of what, like, here's what fits here. Here's what fits there. Here's what fits is, there. Is there going to be another state of consciousness? I don't think so. Um, but I don't, so I think everything has an essential nature. Um, this goes back to, to the metaphysics. I, I think you as a person have a certain nature and I think that nature is grounded in your soul and within your soul, there are certain capacities, uh, certain latent powers within you. Um, but you're not going to change your nature. So take an acorn and take my son who's three years old, an acorn within its nature has a capacity to, if I plant it in the ground, grow a root system and become a tree. But if I plant my son in the ground, he's not going to grow a root system and become a tree because he doesn't have those capacities. So I think everything already has these capacities um uh that that's one of the reasons i would even uh, reject on some versions of of evolution especially naturalistic evolution that uh you would have nature's change in this way but i don't want to go down that route so what i what i'm saying is something exists and its nature is what tells us whether or not it has those capacities to have those five states because perhaps not everything that's conscious can have those five states and how do we know what has those five states? Well, in an in an um, a posteriori sense, which means after investigating, we can we can find correlations between certain regions of the brain, and cer- uh, that that are correlated with certain um, cognitive uh, um, thinking. Like, for example, uh, uh, there's a certain part of the brain associated with language. We know some animals don't have this part of the brain, so I think it's safe to say that they don't—they don't have language. And, and at the very least, we can even say definitely not in the way that that we have language. So I think we can look at things in that sense, um, and that could tell us, give us an indication of what type of soul a thing has, if you will. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, it's—I'm trying to put myself there. Um, it, it's hard for me to come because the the idea of a soul to me is probably the exact same idea of consciousness they're they're coming they're emerging in in my ideas from the same place um and it is out of adaptability um it's it's just and it's not going to get us anywhere going in circles with that um when you say, <laughs> so, when, you say when you say consciousness and the soul emerges from adaptability um, I don't believe in consciousness. Like I said, the idea of consciousness. Now, I think that as we um, evolve, let's can you, okay. Can you go for that? It. You said no. I said, can you explain that? You said you don't believe in consciousness. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I believe it's a um, just an illusion that helps us um, helps us adapt and survive. 
So beliefs are a state of consciousness. So if you don't believe in consciousness, then you're going to have to essentially say that you don't believe that people have beliefs. That's a pre. I I have a bunch of presuppositions from day to day, but uh, <laughs> it, it it is based on my presuppositions that um, I can uh, trust the things that I'm I'm seeing and the things that I'm hearing from these sources that I have lended credence to. But but a priest, you're saying you have presuppositions. presuppositions. Well, I I I I. I I understand <laughs> what presuppositions are, but I don't exactly, I can't say that they, they are true. I can't say there is a truth, to be honest, from my perspective. But my perspective is all kinds of weird, to be honest. <laughs> because I, I just, like I said, we were talking earlier, I am okay with saying, I don't know. And I can work off presuppositions. I can work off of people that I give authority to or ideas that I give authority to, but to say I know is folly in my opinion. But, but um, all I'm and that's why is, I like to hear what people know or think they yeah, know. Sure. And, and all I'm saying is when you're talking about presuppositions, you're talking about presuppositional beliefs. And if beliefs are a state of consciousness, but if you deny consciousness, you're essentially going to have to say, as atheist Alex Rosenberg does say, that you would have to believe that people don't have beliefs, which is a self-contradiction. So you, I don't see how you can avoid consciousness existing when you have beliefs. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I believe I have beliefs right now. I, I don't know that I have beliefs in 15 minutes from now. I can't promise you that. I don't have the mathematical um, <laughs> equation in front of you or the proof to say, you know, for sure, I personally don't. I rely on authorities, um, and the authorities that I rely on seem to have a lot more credence than some of the other um, some of the other beliefs that I have given um, given my time to. Um, and I am a, a strong believer in Darwinian evolution. And uh, that that kind of just changes the whole game, but but you're still so, talking about belief, which is a conscious yeah. state. Let me ask you if um, so. You're can talking I just about authority. Something quickly. When, sure. Um, so when it comes to uh, beliefs, um, I might be able to clarify a little bit on this. Um, when it comes to beliefs, uh, we're not um, uh, presupposing that beliefs are connected to the soul. Uh, to, to say not connected to ourselves we don't think that we can choose our beliefs our beliefs are determined already so we're not choosing what we believe if that helps at all um yeah yeah i get and i even agree for the most part there what i was just getting at is is if i understood him just incorrectly he said that he didn't believe in consciousness didn't believe consciousness was real and i simply said that well, a belief is a state of consciousness. So if you believe consciousness isn't real, you're essentially going to have to believe that there are no beliefs. But he just said he does have beliefs. So it's kind of like the person who doubts they exist. You know, someone says, I don't know if I exist. And you say, well, who's doubting? And they say, well, me. Like, oh, well, <laughs> but in order to doubt your existence, you have to first exist in order for you to doubt that you exist in the first place. Someone who doesn't exist cannot doubt their existence. So I think that that's kind of the same issue we're having here is if someone who denies 
that consciousness exists is having a belief about people not having beliefs. I don't see how, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Justin, here. You're muted, Justin. um, Oh, well, I was just going to ask, can you prove to me that somebody that believes they don't exist uh, can't, like, basically, can can you prove what you said about the person that doesn't believe they exist? Um, not ex- or actually existing or whatever. I can't do. I can't remember exactly what you're saying, but uh, I, I, was what... just, I was just showing the contradiction in someone who doubts their existence. The it, ironic is it a, con- is it a contradiction? It, Can you prove it? Well, I think it's it's self evident that in order to doubt your existence, you have to first exist. You if if you're gonna if you want to doubt that. You're going to have to show me how something can doubt its own existence without existing. I can see what he's what what what, what Eric's getting at there, definitely. Oh, me me as well. These are just questions that I have, you know, questions I have, and he he seems to have reasonable answers. So I'm enjoying talking with him. Well, thank you. I appreciate yeah. that very much. And it would be a contradiction, but as we said before, beliefs don't necessarily have to be true. So someone who uh, doesn't believe that they exist um they haven't chosen to believe that whatever they think the evidence is has convinced them that they don't exist sure our beliefs don't have to necessarily be true but we know that necessarily contradictory beliefs cannot be true mm, exactly exactly and i will uh, you know i do agree with that that you know that would be a uh they're the committing quite a major fallacy there um in in saying that they don't exist yeah. Uh, so, and and Justin was talking about authorities earlier. Um, I mean, what what authority would you appeal to to know whether or not you're in pain? Uh, oh, what what authority would I appeal to to whether? Like to know I said, whether I, I, from what I understand from around me, these, um, the, what I have or what we have evolved as a species or any species to keep us. Uh, alive to adapt to our surroundings um it's something you know it's a neuron firing off in the brain and some people don't even have that ability to feel um and right, it's question, very de- detrimental to them <laughs> uh-huh but, but my question was because you're saying and maybe my i just misunderstood you but i'm sorry it, it, sounded, yeah. it, it sounded like you were saying that you you have you appeal to authorities for certain things but i really wouldn't I do. I do. I, I don't I don't know math. You know, I I don't know that the sun I haven't traveled to the sun to feel that it's a you know, to know that it's a raging ball of gas and fire or whatever it is. I I do have to rely on th- authorities on a lot of these things. But I think that the. But do you know when a, you're in pain? Do you know whenever I'm, do I know? Yeah. No, I could be wrong all the time. But, I could be wrong, but, but, but that- um, for a long time. And at some point it kind of fades into the back and pain is a subjective term. Anyways, pain to one person isn't necessarily what pain is to another person either. Right. But that's irrelevant as to whether or not, you know, you're in pain. I'm not asking about the, the degree of, what someone experienced. I'm just saying, if you know you're in pain, I don't see how you can 
be what in is pain. It? Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, what is it then? What what is pain in your Right. Great. Great question. So, uh, uh, and before answering that, so, so my point there was just, you don't appeal to authority to know when you're in pain, which I think is another argument that would go to lend credibility to my position about, uh, um, mental states, these conscious states, not being something physical or physical properties. Um, because when I know I'm in pain, I don't have to consult a neurosciences. You know, I don't, I don't like, you know, uh, uh, hammer a nail into my hand on accident and be like, huh, it's bleeding. And then, you know, call my doctor, set up an appointment and, you know, oh, we don't have an opening until tomorrow, 5 p.m. Tomorrow, 5 p.m. I go to the doctor and he says, so what's the problem? I say, I have a nail in my hand. Can you look at my brain to tell me if I'm in pain? You know, say, okay, yeah, sure. So they set up a machine 30 minutes later. They look, oh yeah, you're in pain. And they go, and I say, I am in pain. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh my gosh. How? And I start screaming, right? Obviously I don't need to consult with any authority to know whether or not I'm in pain. Um, but to know whether or not I have brain defects, I would have to consult an authority because conscious states are privately accessible and it's something that only I have privileged access to, whereas my brain states, which are physical, are publicly accessible to anybody who can open my skull. So, um, I, and, and what was your question? I'm sorry. Well, I, I think you would still have to appeal to authority whenever it comes to pain. Like I said, there are some people that don't feel pain. And there are all sorts of chemical reactions going off in your brain. And sometimes you're in shock and you don't even know that you broke your leg until somebody tells you. And then it's just as you described. Then all of a sudden you're screaming because you realize, oh, your leg is broken. I mean, I, I feel like right, there are plenty of examples of the, the opposite of what you were saying. Well, I don't, I don't think what you gave was an opposite. No, you said... You don't even know your leg's broken until someone tells you. But that wasn't my point. My point was pain. You don't know. You don't wait till someone tells you that you're in pain to know you're in pain. But that's different than knowing whether or not your leg is broken. So but I can. Wouldn't, it, wouldn't I the pain indicate like to you? Isn't that the first indicator? What's the first indicator? The pain. The pain that something is wrong. Uh-huh. And and then it, sure. so if you're not having that pain at all and somebody has to tell you your leg is broken and then you realize that oh shit your legs is broken you're in a lot of pain does that are you not appealing to or authority is an authority not like because of the chemicals going off in your brain you cannot determine what the reality around you is until somebody brings you back to reality. So, so I think you're confusing two questions. One question, am I in pain? Second question, is my leg broken? So let's put these two questions on the board. Am I in pain? Is my leg broken? They ask me the first question. Oh, ask me the first question. Am I in pain? I say, no. They ask me the second question. Is your leg broken? I can say, I don't know. I'd have to check. So I can have an answer to one question, even if I don't have an answer to the other, but that's not the same thing as whether or not I'm in pain, because I could even say, because I could be on PCP and they ask, am I in pain? I say, no. Is your leg broken? Yeah, the bone's sticking out. Still not in pain though. So, so I think you're confusing what causes pain with pain itself or pain behavior. Uh, I, I could see what you're saying. I just, like I say, and you're right. I mean, drugs will influence that. But I, I was coming from the idea of the natural processes of the brain and the fact that 
without the influence of extra substances, you can do something that is clearly painful and not be in pain until you realize you were actually hurt because of shock, because of these endorphins and things that we have in our body that release to keep us from knowing these things. And sometimes all it takes is somebody to, like I said, bring you back into reality um, to where you're not blinded by this adrenaline and these endorphins and this pain becomes very real. So, so I think you're, 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 I could be confused. Uh, well, I, I'm not saying that you're confused. I just think you're confusing two different questions because you can't say something is clearly painful and yet someone's not in pain. What you could say is some, someone's in a state which would be clearly painful to me, yet it's not painful to them because you, you even talked about, and I forget the medical term, but there are cases where p there are people who do not feel pain. They don't have those type of receptors. Um, and it's actually very hard and dangerous for them. In fact, uh, there's a a girl, I forget her name off the top of my head, and I can't believe I, I forgot. Uh, cognitive insensitivity to pain, I think is what it's called. Could be getting that wrong. But basically, I mean, from from the time she was born, I mean, they had they had to watch her like a hawk. I mean, um, they put goggles on her eyes because one time she had something in her eye that caused her to itch. So she she was scratching at it, and they weren't supervising her. They didn't know until, you know, she got was able to basically walk and do other stuff. Um, but like they weren't supervising her. They come back later and the girl nearly gouged her eye out. Um, they had to put mittens on her, uh, uh because, uh, as she was teething, uh, and they, they had a, they literally had to pull her teeth out because as she was teething, uh, you know, they, again, not supervising her, they'd come back and sh she would have a mouthful of blood and pretty much chewed her tongue off and chewed her fingers off and chewed her lips off because she was teething and wanted something to chew on. But she she could not feel pain. Now that would clearly be painful to me, but it wasn't painful to her. So, uh, and my point is, pain, which is part of a mental state of being a sensation, you don't need any authority to appeal to to know you're in pain, because it's not even if caused by and correlated with something physical, it is still something that is a conscious state. And I would argue consciousness is not physical. Uh, and this is why I also think you could have phantom limb pain, where people who don't have, let's say, two legs in the middle of the night, wake up with leg pain when they have no legs. Um, so again, there's a correlation between the physical, but I think the mental state itself, consciousness is not something physical. Right. Can I, um, I think we're going to have to uh, start closing the stream down because we have been going for like two hours now. Um, I, I was going to mention that I'm having a after party uh, similar to what, the, what, um, what we had on the air show. Hey, congratulations, um, by the way, Katie. You definitely yes. reached um, your uh, 100 subscriber goal. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm over awesome. the moon about that. <laughs> um, yeah, very, so I'm not sure fun. whether you want to, uh, if you've got time, if you want to stay on for a little bit. And uh, there's a couple of people in the chat who would love to have a little chat with you. Yeah, I can do that. I can stay yeah. on for a little bit longer. Um, so I'll get the I'll get the stream closed down. I'll get some links sent out to the after party. If anyone who wants to jump onto the after party, um, I've got a couple of people who've already messaged. But if um, uh, if there's more than six, uh, if there's more than three people who want to join in, then I will move over to another 
uh, uh, move away from StreamYard because I can only have six people in um, at one time. Uh, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, anyway, thank you very much, Eric, for coming on. That was absolutely... I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, thank you. Likewise. Um, yeah. you know, I think it's been very informative for the viewers. It's been very informative for me and Justin, I think, as well. Um, I, I enjoyed it thoroughly, yeah. so thank you as well. Uh, so, please, everyone in the chat, um, we have um, two shows a week, uh, Mondays and Fridays at 8pm EST, uh, Eastern Time. Uh, so please tune in for the next show, which is obviously going to be Friday. Um, and please remember, ignorance is never bliss. And this is the Borg Skeptic Show, Assimilation of Knowledge. Thank you very much, and good night.